Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. Uh, Megan will be back next week uh, when we're talking about the lottery. But today we're going to be talking about The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which is Mark Twain's 1884 novel about a Missouri teenager, Huckleberry Finn, um, who, along <laughs> with his companion, Jim, uh, who is escaping from slavery, runs off down the Mississippi River and um, they they see some shit, man. <laughs> they see some shit. And, uh, and it's important to note that... Um, they're kind of going the wrong ass way. Yep, uh, they sure are, uh, which we will absolutely talk about. They are, be, again, uh, one of the two of them is escaping from slavery, and they're going deep, deep, deep south, um, which is... Um, yes. And, and we'll, we'll talk about why that might be, but also some of the problems that raises for the book. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, Katie, why, why did you want to read Huckleberry Finn? I wanted to read Huckleberry Finn for one reason, Huck as a character. Mm -hmm. Huck is funny. He's sweet. He has this great kid morality that's like very interesting, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk more about. But there are also some things that like Huck Finn has some very memorable phrases. Like at the beginning of the book, he says there are a couple things he says he 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 doesn't take no stock in. <laughs> and those include those include dead people. <laughs> And mathematics. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, there's a little, there is a little bit of an ICP uh, vibe, right? About yes. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Miracles yes. are bad. He is know, whatever that song is called. <laughs> yeah. Magnets probably really throw him. <laughs> Don't put no stock in magnets. Don't put... <laughs> <laughs> Don't put no stock in magnets or dead people or anything else. I think he I think he doesn't put no stock in finance either. He just doesn't put a lot of stock in anything. Yeah. Uh he 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 DGAF, as they say yes. in the text messages. Mm -hmm. the, the other the, the other reason is that Jim has a very memorable phrase that he uses that really that really, really cuts to the quick if you are wrong as hell. Mm -hmm. And that phrase is that truck is trash, mm -hmm. and and it's a good one. It is, and he means it. It is. No, it's it's so. a very good phrase. Uh, most people's truck is trash. Uh, to be to be quite frank, uh, particularly this novel. Uh, a bunch of slave owning liars, pretty much. You know, <laughs> pretty pretty much. Uh, oh, uh, conforming to the rule of threes. I have one more reason mm -hmm. oh, oh. that that I wanted to read this book, okay. and I'm I'm pulling it up for you now. <laughs> We are not going to be able to discuss this today mm -hmm. during this episode. But there is a poem in this book that is perhaps my favorite poem of all time. Mm -hmm. And it is written by a character who is a baby goth girl. <laughs> and all she does is think about death and dying and write these little creepy poems about dead people i i remember this and but i think she's a teenager too right which makes it even more creepy like she's not a weird seven-year-old she's like a weird 16 year old <laughs> yes <laughs> and she's dead too she's dead too right like so it makes it even creepier yes yeah, so she also she also is dead which she you know it, it if the shoe fits <laughs> But she writes this poem, which is one of the funniest poems I've ever read in my entire life. And it's called Ode to Stephen Dowling Botts, Deceased. <laughs> I would just like to read a tiny bit of this poem. It's quite short. Here we go. Here's Ode to Stephen Dowling Botts, Deceased. <laughs> and did young Stephen sicken? And did young Stephen die? And did the sad hearts thicken? And did the mourners cry? No, 
Such was not the fate of young Stephen Dowling Botts. Though sad hearts round him thicken, t'was not from sickness shots. No whooping cough did rack his frame, nor measles drear with spots. Not these impaired the sacred name of Stephen Dowling Botts. Despised love struck not with woe, that head of curly knots, nor stomach troubles laid him low, young Stephen Dowling Botts. Oh no, then list with tearful eye, whilst I his fate do tell. His soul did from this cold world fly by falling down a well. They got him out and emptied him. Alas, it was too late. His spirit was gone for to sport aloft in the realms of the good and the great. R I P to a real one, Stephen Dowlingbox. R I P to a real one, indeed, man. You know, let's pour, let's pour one out for for old Stephen Dowlingbox. Stephen, they couldn't pour him out. No, they could. Um, no, and you know what? Like that, but that actually, uh, I, I had, to, I, you know, even though I just read this book, I had forgotten about that because so much shit happens in this, uh, in this novel. But like, it does get to one of the reasons why I love Huck Finn, which is that it is dark as fuck, and you know it. It being Twain, I mean, it is satiric and funny as hell, but funny about some really dark and disturbing shit, you know. Like, yes. Um. So uh, yes, and this this dead this dead teenager who's written this bad uh, <laughs> or awesome uh, poem about this other dead person. Uh. Is, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's great. It's great. <laughs> so it's good stuff. I mean, uh, the twist at the end is that he fell down a well, yeah. like the girl from the ring. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yep. Um. Yeah, well, well, boy. Um, <laughs> so he could come back. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, actually, that reminds me. Uh, I'm going to mention Disney World in a bit, just, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, um, and, which I, there's actually an important reason for that. Uh, but I have to say that the Haunted Mansion at uh, Disney World and, and Disneyland, uh, both sides of the country, uh, they have like all these like poems, like very much like that engraved under the fake tombstones. Uh, so, <laughs> so next time my my child <laughs> forces us to to go back to one of those, uh, I, I I'm gonna look and see. Like, hey, did, did you did you plagiarize this from uh, t- from Twain? I think you might have. <laughs> next time your child it creates a hostage situation, you have to <laughs> take him to Disneyland to be freed. Exactly. So, uh, so why did I want to read this? So a little while ago, and th- this will surprise uh, listeners to our uh, Billy Bot episode uh, and Robinson Crusoe episode who know about my ship fandom. I, I, I was talking <laughs> more, on that, more on that later. Yes. Um, I was, ta- <laughs> I was talking uh, to Megan about this course that I wanted to teach on, on boats, you know, and I jo- just joking around, calling it Bodie McBoatface <laughs> as the course name. <laughs> um, and Megan is like, Hey, uh, you could teach Huck Finn. And while I love Huck Finn, I go, oh uh but that's like a, a raft <laughs> on, on a river <laughs> like which which of course made me realize that uh the course i actually wanted to teach was about ships uh and oceans very big distinction but but no I'm, i i am actually going to lead uh very hard into the the ship head thing uh on, on this episode um and you know it, it's been a while since we have um and, and we do have moby dick uh coming up so you know buckle up uh, <laughs> Tristan's about to act like a real shiphead, folks. Oh, uh, as ever. Um, but but yeah, no. But this novel is about a lot of things that, that do interest me intellectually, and not just 
or not exclusively in a dork way about like watery spaces. <laughs> um, and, uh, and no, I like the, the, the river and the raft uh, that, that Huck and Jim are on as these kind of liminal spaces and spaces of exchange or escape. Uh, Michel Foucault in this famous essay has this concept of a heterotopia and the ship is kind of like his example of that. It's just a space where you have like a lot of different forms of relation uh, kind of political structures and modes existing on top of each other. Um, and I think we get that, you know, very much in, in the, in the, on, along the Mississippi in this novel. And, you know, I, I've always just kind of loved the idea of, or, you know, just fascinated by the idea of the Mississippi, um, you know, which by the 19th century, it's this, you know, major artery of, you know, slavery and capital and American empire, but also like this much deeper history beyond that. And, and how, but how like that gets subverted in some way in this novel or, or maybe reclaimed as a space of, if not resistance, at least kind of like suspension, um, you know, in the middle of antebellum America, where a lot, you know, a, this very brutal overarching system of slavery that's happening around it. So I, I think that's really fascinating. And the other thing is like, you know, Twain is great. Uh, I, I am a big fan of Jonathan Swift. Uh, and I love how scathing of a satirist Twain is. You know, I do want to fully acknowledge that the racial politics of this novel are quite fraught and ambiguous uh, and or occasionally just bad, um, which we're definitely going to talk about. Um, and a lot of, of really great critics have had uh, very smart things to say about that. But, you know, um, this is also just a brutal takedown of of the antebellum white slave owning society of the kind of Mississippi Valley. I think it's like Swift at his ragey best. And it's a dark fucking novel. <laughs> like, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I the reason I just was thinking of Disneyland, um, Disneyland has this whole Tom Sawyer themed section. It's like, oh, the swimming holes and like wholesome fun and, along the river. Yeah, you're not going to do that with Huck Finn. It would basically be like, well, uh, my abusive alcoholic uh Pa, he kidnapped me, but I fixed him real good. See, I went out and I slaughtered me a hog. I smeared the blood all over the cabin, made it look like I had been brutally murdered, and then I escaped off down the river. Like you're not, you know, this is not, this is not a narrative that lends itself, uh, or at least it should not lend itself to that kind of like Americanness of of uh, Tom Sawyer. Although I also think that's kind of a misreading of Tom Sawyer, which is a lot smarter than that. But um, anyway, yeah, so a lot to talk about today. In a way, you're actually making the point for me. You're you're awakening me to the argument that perhaps um perhaps Huck Finn does belong in Disney World for the for the very reason that you bring up. Because every Disney movie is like your parents died and they died, they expired in an awful <laughs> way, and and everyone's an orphan. <laughs> no, you're right. So this is kind of like a reversal of that, and but just a you know like a little more like it's for our times. You know, kids kids have seen it all. They have the internet now. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, yeah, you're right. It is. Because, yes, if, if you dig down into any of those Disney movies, it's fucking dark. Uh, and even like when it isn't trying to be dark, it's still pretty fucking dark. Um, so, yeah. Uh, okay. So today we are going to be talking about race in the novel and the novel's uh, very fraught um, and often ambiguous racial politics. We're going to be talking about satire, uh, specifically satire directed at the shitty, disgusting plantation class. We're going to be talking about childhood in the novel, how that functions thematically and conceptually. And we're going to be talking about uh, rivers and what they symbolize and kind of the Mississippi as a space. All right. Uh, so, Katie, as the as the Americanist uh, on, the, on, on the pod uh, today, would would you uh, would you uh, just kind of r- remind us of what this novel is about? <laughs> Ple- pleasure to make your acquaintance. I am the Americanist <laughs> and uh, and I'm here to tell you about a classic of American literature. 
Huckleberry Finn, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. This novel is longer than you think mm-hmm. it is. Which is the first thing I want to say before embarking on this summary because a lot of shit happens. So Huck Finn has is a very famous intro where he says, you may have heard of me if you have read this book by the name of, by an author by the name of Mark Twain. And he like pretty much lied a lot, but some of it was kind of legit. And he's 14. And at the time he's living with this woman, the widow Douglas and her sister, and they are trying to quote unquote civilize him by giving him religion and Huck fucking hates it. Huck is like angling to get into hell because he thinks that his friend Tom Sawyer will be there and they can like dick around and play cops and robbers all day every day. And and, he, and he's right. Tom Sawyer is definitely going to hell. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. Tom Tom Sawyer drag him straight to hell. Uh bring back Stephen Dowling bots and just get him. Okay. <laughs> so Huck is friends with Tom Sawyer. Huck also comes into some money that he immediately gives away because he realizes is that his dad has come back into town mm-hmm. and he's probably going to use it to buy booze because that is what he does with the one dollar that his 14 year old son has mm-hmm. he basically like turns him over smacks him upside the head for having gone to school and is like we are going to illinois young man yeah and there's no greater punishment than going to illinois <laughs> Yeah, Western Illinois too, right? Like, uh, no, <laughs> no, no, but 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 also like his dad. No, I mean, I, and this is why you know I was talking about like how dark this novel is. His dad is terrified. Like his dad yes. is an abusive alcoholic. Like, and that yes. like, and I think that like sort of you know if you haven't read Huck Finn in a while or ever, and just sort of know that the kind of like oh like the the sort of like cultural kind of myths around it. It is like oh, it's a child's narrative, and it's like. No, like, I mean, it is a, it is a, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of very kind of like violent sort of themes, uh, slavery being one, but Huck's dad, I mean, it starts with Huck's dad, like it is, he, he is a very ominous figure. He is a very ominous figure. And, and there's a lot, there's actually like, this is a book about sort of, it starts like, uh, a, a custody story mm-hmm. where like he tricks a judge mm-hmm. in, and, and that's how he gets Huck. And he basically like abducts him Mm -hmm. so huck then finally uh like the widow's trying to get him back but but eventually he escapes from his dad and he goes uh down the mississippi after faking his own death murder murder his own brutal axe murder is what he fakes like (laughs) he did he he gave himself the full uh lizzie borden treatment yeah and uh, well, and he, he didn't really. He uh, Tristan, I have to tell you something. That was a trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good, thank God, because that was that was a brutal murder that was described. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after that, he he does that so he can escape. And as he's doing that, he runs into Jim, who was an enslaved person by Miss Watson. And so, basically, like Huck and Jim have this. They have a relationship. It's sort of like a a funny relationship from the beginning. In in one sense, Huck will go to Jim for advice. Like Jim has got uh, this reputation as having supernatural powers. Like he says, a witches rode him, mm-hmm. and he has a, a magic hairball that that can uh, predict the future. And so that's like part of what what tells Huck that um, his dad's coming back. Mm-hmm. So he's he's got this like this interesting connection. 
to Huck, uh, to Jim and the, the father from the beginning. So they eventually get on the raft and start traveling down the Mississippi River. Yes, again, you heard us right, down the Mississippi River. Uh, Jim escaped because he was afraid of this fate, mm-hmm. uh, that he would be sold down the Mississippi River as opposed to voluntarily traveling down it, which is like a really interesting part of this novel or mistakenly traveling it's a this is a complicated matter um so finally they get to this town cairo and that what they the plan is that they're gonna take another river tristan you may need to just river knowledge me up <laughs> sure first of all it is it is actually pronounced cairo oh, which the first time i heard that i was like yeah <laughs> but it, it is a t- it's it's still there it's a tiny town at the bottom of illinois where the Ohio, uh, which flows up obviously into Ohio and, and and Pennsylvania, ultimately meets the Mississippi. So, like, you could take it up to the free states, or you could keep heading down deeper and deeper into the plantation economy of the South, which is what happens. That is indeed what happens. So they make this plan that they're gonna that they're gonna go uh, to the free states, but. Huck has this weirdo, like, double crisis of con- of conscience where first he's like, I don't know if it's right to help somebody escape from slavery. And then he's like, I'm really sure that it is. Uh, and I don't I don't give a fuck what I have to. I'll burn it all down because I re- I think that, like, I actually think that, you know, Jim is my friend. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about this um, later. So as they're fleeing, Huck and Jim come across this totally fucked up steamboat. And the Grangerford family. And they are basically like the fucking Hatfields and the McCoys. Mm-hmm. Like, they are doing full ass, like, it's Halo. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> you know, they're they're doing it all. They're doing the video game with where you chainsaw people to death. That's the, that's the feud. They also run into these two guys, the Duke and the King. Yeah. And they abduct, they, they essentially say, like, it's our raft now. Right. And they also say, like, what we're going to do is do pyramid schemes and sell uh, young living oils yeah. and multi-level marketing all down the river. And they're called the Duke and the King because the younger one is like, hmm, yes, I'm a fancy Duke in in, uh, in Britain. And the, and the other, the older one's like, it was like, mm. I mean, they're, they're two con men who I think we we don't think know each other. They just, but they they very quickly like suss each other out as con men. Con men and the, uh, the older one that's like, oh, well, you're the Duke. Well, guess what? I'm the, I'm the Dolphin of France, like Louis the 16th son. Like, and, so the, and so they're both like, uh, and they both like really piss each other off because like that's just the point at which they both realize that they're con men. And Huck and Jim are like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, can you imagine how pissed you'd be? Can you imagine how pissed you'd be if you run into somebody and you're like, you're a con man? I'm a con man. We're kindred spirits. <laughs> Let's do fake British accents together. Like you're two alike. Yeah, exactly. 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 You need some fire and ice and this just isn't it, you know? <laughs> so finally, so like they're ding-dongs. And when they do their fake British accent, Prince Harry and Charles, Camilla, um, old queen doing it all, they try to steal basically like this family's whole like everything they try to take their nest egg and so there's a lot of ruckus created by that and huck and jim get out of there and hit the road okay so we're getting (laughs) we're getting to the end finally the the dolphin of france flipper of france (laughs) and the king are finally 
revealed to be backstabbers because they sell they sell Jim back into slavery, mm-hmm. which they're they're really evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're quite yeah, evil. They right. go from yeah, it's the, yeah. it's the moment at which they're like, oh ha, look at these sort of like comic figures collapse into like no they're like they're villains and like kind of what threatens to become a much like darker novel so so hawk goes to find jim and then he gets into this mix them up identity game where he pretends to be tom sawyer tom sawyer pretends to be his brother (laughs) and then they concoct this elaborate rube goldberg style escape for jim because Tom Sawyer is a sociopath, yeah. and I'll say it right here. Oh, totally. Right. And, and also, like, it's just miraculously wise. They're, they're hundreds of miles downriver. Huck doesn't know Tom's extended family, and, and Tom's never met them either, because, you know, it's hundreds of miles. It's the, it's the antebellum U.S. Um, and they're and it's like, oh, shit, this is actually Tom Sawyer's family. And like, and then and that's when Huck, that's when Huck meets Tom Sawyer, right? And like, and Tom Sawyer's like, oh, I was coming to visit Aunt, uh, whatever. The, it's not Aunt. It's, it's Aunt Sally, right? It's Aunt yeah, Sally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, that's when they're like, okay, well, you pretend to be me and I'll pretend to be this other brother. Like, yes. That's never gone wrong before. And while we're at it, we should do a parent trap. Yeah. yeah. So they do this identity game. Uh, 14-year-olds pretend to doing, doing CIA uh, facial recognition, uh, you know, changing, face changing, face off. John Travolta, Nicolas Cage, free associations. Okay, so they finally do escape. And Tom Sawyer gets exactly what he deserves because he gets shoot shot mm-hmm. in the calf. So not fatally. And Jim, <laughs> Jim won't leave his stupid ass. So he's captured again. But then we find out, hold me back from Tom Sawyer. It turns out that fucking Tom Sawyer has known the entire time the gym is already free. Yeah. So Miss Watson is dead. Mm-hmm. And Jim has actually had his freedom the whole time. Tom Sawyer's a shithead. And Huck, Huck kind of goes off. He he decides he's going to light off and have some new adventures. And there's this very, he's a very famous ending line, which is, but I reckon I got a light out for the territory ahead of the rest because Aunt Sally, she's going to adopt me and civilize me and I can't stand it. I've been there before. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <The end. laughs> Which is a real, I mean, yeah, it is a very famous uh, uh, ending line. Um, and But I also think one, too, that does get to like... Yeah, I mean, a big theme of this novel, which is just like uh, a kind of like... Well, a longing for a space outside of like these sort of like oppressive, like kind of relational structures or, um, yeah, just the, yeah, just like the sense that like to be a uh, quote civilized, um, spelled with an S and the, the, another really cool thing about this novel is it's the, it's entirely written in dialect. Um, uh, right. Neat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, and, and did, did Twain all, I mean, like, uh, did Twain do that a lot or was this, this different? No, he did do that a lot. There were there are some books where so he wrote this autobiography of Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. which is like a really dope book. Yeah. And obviously, there's not this is not like a dialect heavy thing, uh, but like the he his first famous work about a frog jumping contest. Yeah unsurprisingly contains dialect yeah, yeah. no i that, again that's uh, like another thing i love about twain is like you look at what he wrote he just wrote a lot of fucking crazy pants shit you know <laughs> like it's uh, oh yeah no he was full bo- like like we could we could talk about just 
uh, Mark Twain for a, a full yeah. three hours. No, totally. And and I, I think uh, I remember. I can't remember if we said this on the podcast or not, but I know we've had this conversation that like we both uh, stand Melville as does Megan. But like I'm pretty sure Melville would have sucked to hang out with like as a person. Oh my, yeah, uh, Hawthorne too. Like Twain, you know, he just smoked a lot of cigars and drank some you know bourbon and probably have had some really funny shit said. You know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> kind of to preview a preview of the background here it's about about twain he only wore a white suit and he called it like his fuck you suit or something i I, we'll get to that but like that's like 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 legit like like if tom wolf if tom wolf had been cool right like yes also uh shout out who to my prom date who i haven't spoken to in uh upwards of 10 years who also wore a full white suit to prom oh uh cool and this yeah okay and this was like the early 2000s right like yeah yeah, okay all right it it was it was it it was mark twain all right well yeah well actually why don't why don't you tell us a little bit about twain and then we'll we'll get to some of the themes we want to talk about why thank you i thought you'd never ask (laughs) um okay so just to kind of give you a little bit of background on mark twain just the fun fast facts some of them are less fun than others, actually. And he was uh, born sort of like a delicate child. And his mom said, when I first saw him, I could see no promise in him. <laughs> yeah. uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he was also, he was born Samuel Clemens. Uh, as as many as many people know, he he didn't pick he didn't pick Mark Twain until uh, a little like slightly before the Civil War. Before that, he went through a series of other pen names, one of which was Thomas Jefferson Snodgrass. Ah, okay. Um, I think changing to Mark Twain was wise. Aside from Mark Twain's white, I don't care a damn suit. He also was a he he was he was. It's, this is tr- absolutely true. Cat person was based on Mark Twain <laughs> because he had upwards of 19 cats at a time. Oh, Hemingway style. Hemingway's house in Key West, Florida is also overrun with cats. <laughs> yes. And Hemingway's house in Key West, Florida is not only overrun with cats, it's overrun with inbred cats who've all fucked each Six toed yes! cats. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've been there. Yes. I've been there. <laughs> Can you imagine being a six-toed cat and having to hide your six-toe because because it meant you fucked your cousin? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, oh, so we're, we'll keep it real. I'm going to keep it real snappy so we can get into the business. But this boat shit was not all imaginary for Twain. He was a steamboat captain, and he he brought his brother in his his brother who was a teenager in his late teens to be a steamboat captain. Or to be on the steamboat with him. And his brother died in an explosion. And after that, uh, Twain got really into spiritualism. So, like, listen to the Hound of the Baskervilles episode if you want to know more. But he was also in the Society for Psychical Research. Mm -hmm. So, there's that. There's also, just kind of to give a little bit of background on, like, Twain's politics. This is just kind of one interesting point. Uh, Twain was famously critical of the South. Mm -hmm. But he did briefly fight for the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Um, he very, very briefly. So, like, we're talking, we're talking two weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And his explanation for it is like, 
that he was doing, you know, that it was uh, regional, regional investment rather than ideological, which is like, can't really separate those things. But yeah, so so I think the reason why that's important is because as we talk about uh, what the sort of the the differences between the North and the South and what they represented, it's very complicated in this book. And I think that that very small detail, that conflict that Twain had is maybe something that's instructive that can tell us something about just what it meant to be a part of a region at that time. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people consider this book to be local color fiction. Right. It's one way you can read it. And Twain is this like local color author. And so like you can think of him as a satirist, as a as a American regionalist, as this comedy writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but yeah, he's a lot going on. He was friends with Tesla also, Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, yeah, he, he was, yeah, cool. I know. And, and I, he also smoked like 40 cigars a day or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. So, okay. So, and I think that the civil war stuff, um, like, I think we should definitely like start with just acknowledging how like fraught and ambiguous and often kind of fucked up the novels, uh, um, racial politics, or, or I should say maybe fucked up because like, I think a lot of people have made pretty compelling arguments, um, that say a lot of different things about that. Um, I also just want to like kind of acknowledge the sort of like kind of, um, you know, ambiguous, ambiguous ambivalence, I should say, or sort of like shittiness of like two white academics having this conversation in a way that I think can't help, but to a degree reproduce some things that academia does in this way. But I mean, and, and so like, you know, to, and, and I think that's some, you know, that's something to acknowledge. Um, and that's also something not Mm -hmm. to minimize. Well, okay. So, I mean, most famously, the N word appears 200 times in this novel and, you know, the, the, over 200 times, I think. And, you know, uh, like to an extent it reflects language of the antebellum United States, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and the kind of society that like Huck Finn is from is supposed to be from. Um, but you know, people have said, you know, like when uh, I think a perennial sort of debate about like teaching this, particularly like the secondary level, like does this belong in schools and, um, at like, you know, secondary schools and, you know, people rate like what it means for, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a, uh, you know, a, a student of color, particularly a black student to, to, to read that. Um, and, and I don't want to minimize that, um, at all. Um, I, I do it. So, so, mm-hmm. so Tony Morrison in the, uh, in an introduction to one of the Oxford editions of, of, uh, Huckleberry Finn, um, has a really great, uh, uh you know, uh, what's well, a really great essay. Um, and, and, and I think that that really gets on a lot of complexities and part of what she's talking about is her own sort of ambivalence, like reading and rereading it. Um, and it comes to a very sort of like appreciative place, but I think one also that does not try to like minimize, um, that kind of discourse. She does say about like the, you know, the, the uh, you know, should it be struck from like school reading lists. Um, she does say it struck me as uh, purest yet elementary kind of censorship designed to appease adults rather than educate children, amputate the problem, band-aid the solution. Um, a serious comprehensive discussion of the term by an intelligent teacher certainly would have benefited my eighth grade class the first time she read it um, and would have spared all of us, a few blacks, many whites, mostly second generation immigrant children, some grief. Um, and I think that like, I, you know, I, a lot of like really kind of smart um, scholars have, have or, and, and uh, teachers have come to that too that it's like when you're dealing with literature from this time like that kind of like that sort of like kind of historical contextual discussion is really um sort of important to that but i but so like she says a lot of really interesting things in this essay that we can we can sort of follow on our uh, ourselves um but but you know what so one thing i claim that she has is that that uh 
Huck, in sort of absence of his own father, uh, you know, Jim in some way sort of fills that void. But the sort of like impossibility at this historical moment of getting past the kind of white black divide that that basically explains or it doesn't it 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 is what drives why the novel reverts in some ways to like um, what she calls the over the over the top minstrelization of Jim. Like it, it, it can, you know, yeah. that it that, that it's a way like Jim has been brought close, but that's a way of like forcing distance back on that character um but i just want to read this one paragraph um this is towards the end of the essay the source of my unease reading this amazing troubling book now seems clear an imperfect coming to terms with three matters twain addresses huck finn's estrangement soulness and morbidity as an outcast child the disproportionate sadness at the center of jim's and his relationship and the secrecy in which huck's engagement with rather than escape from a racist society is necessarily conducted it is also clear that the rewards of my effort to come to terms have been abundant. My alarm, aroused by Twain's precise rendering of childhood's fear of death and abandonment, remains as it should. It has been extremely worthwhile slogging through Jim's shame and humiliation to recognize the sadness, the tragic implications at the center of his relationship with Huck. My fury at the maze of deceit, the risk of personal harm that a white child is forced to negotiate in a race-inflected society is dissipated by the exquisite uses to which Twain puts that maze, that risk. Yet the larger question, the danger that sifts uh, from the novel's last page, is whether Huck minus Jim will be able to stay those three monsters as he enters the territory. Will that undefined space so falsely imagined as open be free of social chaos, personal morbidity, and further moral complications embedded in childhood and citizenship? Will it be free not only of nightmare fathers, but of dream fathers too? Twain did not write Huck there. He imagined instead a reunion, Huck, Jim, and Tom soaring in a balloon over Egypt. For a hundred years, the argument that this novel is uh, has been identified, re-identified, examined, waged, and advanced. What it cannot be is dismissed. Um, it is classical literature, which is to say, it heaves, manifests, and lasts. Which I like. I love that essay, and I and I and I think that it it does. It doesn't. It doesn't deny any of the like the the, the problems inherent in it. Um, but it also, I think, sort uh, is really alive to kind of its nuance and complexity. Um, and 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 I think just like tracing through uh, like Morrison's own kind of like ambiguous relationship to it is uh, it, it it's a real like that like there's a lot of really good stuff written about this novel. But I really that that is one of the best essays that I have kind of found on it. That's a fantastic uh, essay, and I'm glad that you read that piece of it. The thing that it really brings to light for me is something that it's hard not to think of and be continually hit by as you read this, which is that Jim is at the mercy of children. Yes. And children play and children play games that they don't fully understand mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. And so he is at the mercy of these kids who think that they're having fun in this very pivotal moment. And in fact, they're compromising everything mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and Jim is also uh, in a lot of moments, a figure of fun. And he himself is uh, producing that fun. Like he's, he's in on the mm -hmm. jokes a lot, you know, often, but there are also these moments where it's inescapable that, Jim is on the run because he is a slave. He's not on the run because of a family difficulty. He is on the run because of this structure that dominated American, the American economy and American life in the 19, in the, in the 19th century. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and so like, 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly right. Um, and so, I, and and to me, it's like the like the question, which I think is like itself sort of a reductive question. Like, is this novel like a racist novel or, or a lot? Um, I mean, it is certainly a novel that that re- that relies or deploys certain racist tropes, and I, you know, like what Morrison there calls the the over the top minstrelization of Jim in places. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right, Katie. Like in other places, he is. To- I mean, he's you know he's a very like smart and able interpreter of the situation and. Kind Kind of a, an agent in its own right, so it, it, it's very kind of ambivalent, uh, ambivalent around Jim himself. But like, I don't like it. It, it I, there's no way in which it is a pro-slavery novel to me at all. Like quite the opposite. Um, no. And it's like on the, the 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 title page, right? It's it's it, it's uh, it, it marks the kind of like historical moment that it's about as different from the moment it's being written. Um, you know, it says uh, you know on the title page, seen the Mississippi Valley time forty to fifty years ago. And there's like there are a number of chapters, one of which I want to look at directly, where Huck is like troubled that he well he's he's helping Jim escape slavery, and you know he like he because he's been taught that like that 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 is itself like a moral failing, like a crime to do so. Um, but you know, remembering one, uh, he ultimately does help, or at least he thinks he helps Jim do that. And I, there's one scene in particular I want to look at, but also that like you know this is 1884. This is, you know, after the Civil War, like, so the idea of, like, helping to enforce something like the Fugitive Slave Act, like, you know, I, I that it's not like, you know, it's not like that, that would have just been taken for granted, like, 20 years after the Civil War has been, as having been, like, a, a, you know, a, a, like, a, like a moral thing. Right. Um, you know, at the same time, this is like when the KKK is rising. This is when like the Jim Crow South is really, uh, kind of being, um, you know, sort of solidified, but I do think, you know, it, it's just like that kind of moral quandary Huck has, like, that is like, and that, like, that is marked to me as antebellum. And it's also marked to me as explicitly sort of retrograde and the past and a past that the novel wants to discard as such. Yes. Yes. Because so there are, so I worked on pro-slavery novels mm-hmm. and there's the, the huge, I guess the huge difference uh, in, in grad school, mm-hmm. I, I studied pro-slavery, American pro-slavery novels. And the huge distinction we can make is those novels have a fantasy that was pervasive. Uh, and that was, but this is, this is, not fantasy it's satire and so the two levels so when you have fantasy it's like we have these real pro-slavery novels that fantasize an idyllic past of slavery where everyone volunteers for it which is like clearly fucking bullshit Mm -hmm. and nuts this is also something where you have to look beyond the what's going on because we're in the we're in the we're in the you know in the seeing things through the eyes of a child a 14 year old right and we also have stuff like 40 years in the past. Like we're not – like that That alone, that 40 years in the past should tell you you're not in fantasy. You're in this like – because it's too close to the present moment and it's too vague to be like – we're not going on – we're not having an important date. Yeah. We're having like 
Yeah, no, exactly. And and one thing I like another thing I I I, I, I did a lot of reading around this. So like another another thing I want to share is uh, uh and actually that looks forward to our discussion of Rob Roy in a few weeks. Um Twain hated Walter Scott. Um and I think slightly unfairly so, but one of the reasons he hated him <laughs> Oh, you was, would. Was, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, okay. It's I mean, it's like here my claim about Scott is that Scott is smarter than Scott knows that he is. But uh, <laughs> but um but like, no, like that one reason that he like one thing Twain has to say about that is like, yeah, I mean, Twain think like the past is bad. Like Twain is definitely part of like this progressive sort of thought process that like, yeah, like the present attending towards the future. We want you were trying to make society better and better. So, yeah, I think you're right. Like that 40 years of the past thing, it's 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 already supposed to mark out attitudes that are retrograde. The childhood thing that you mentioned, that also is super crucial because it's like, yeah, one thing that this is showing us is that like, what do children absorb? Well, they absorb a lot of shit from an adult, one of which is like the one, I mean, you know, because Tuck, uh, Tuck, Huck is very like, is very uh, like, he wants to reject like the kind of social codes of the society, which he finds oppressive. But the one thing that he seems like, like very troublingly uh, unable to get past is that slavery is wrong, but he's in do he's intuitive that it's not, you know? know um and, and i just want like so there's this there's this famous moment uh, a very ambiguous moment it's chapter 31 where huck decides he's not you know that basically it, it, they're at this moment where it looks like jim is going to be able to like kind of escape to to, to safety and huck is like well th- then this basically i've helped uh, i've helped mrs watts miss watson slave run away and he's he's gonna write to miss watson and tell her about this but then he has this crisis right um I felt good and all washed clean of sin for the first time I'd ever felt so in my life, and I know that I could pray now. But I didn't do it straight off, but laid the paper down and sat there thinking, thinking how good it was that all this happened so, and how near I come to being lost and going to hell, and went on thinking, and got to thinking over our trip down the river, and I see Jim before me all the time in the day, and in the nighttime, sometimes moonlight, sometimes storms, and we floating along, talking and singing and laughing. But somehow I couldn't seem to strike no places to harden me against him, but only the other kind. I'd see him standing my watch on top of uh, his and instead of calling me so I could go on sleeping and see him how glad he was when I come back out of the fog. And when I come to him again in the swamp up there where the feud was and such like times and would always uh, call me honey and pet me and do everything he could think of for me and how good he always was. And at last I struck the time I saved him by telling the men we had smallpox aboard and he was so grateful and said I was the best friend old Jim ever had in the world and the only one he's got now. And then I happened to look around and see that paper, the paper that he's, he's written to Miss Watson on. It was a close place. I took it up and held it in my hand. I was trembling because I I'd got to decide forever betwixt two things. And I noted, it. I studied a minute sort of holding my breath and then says to myself, all right, then I'll go to hell and tore it up. I, that is like such kind of a moving moment to me because like well, one thing it's like mm-hmm. it, it, it like I, I, I get I think childhood comes back to it right because it's like that ultimately it's the sort of like that the, the kind of like sort of interpersonal connection is able to transcend the fucked up social structure that that he's that he's that has been kind of like his pedagogy but like at the same time like he's not quite able to then take that and be like so the social structure like in like kind of in an intellectual way or like the basis of a moral system oh okay so i guess that whole social structure is fucked it, it becomes like he feels that he himself is like damned because he's doing what's actually the right thing, you know? Mm-hmm. No, it absolutely, it is an incredible, it's an incredibly moving moment because it's his, his baptism by fire moment, but he doesn't know mm-hmm. it 
because he doesn't know. And, and he fully in that moment believes that he's going to hell and everything that that entails Mm -hmm. that he thinks he's sacrificing his immortal soul because his, for his friend Mm -hmm. and been a, he's an abused child and he has a relationship with Jim and it allows him this space to come to a theology that is about intimacy and loyalty and friendship and not about um uh and not about like rules and strictures but he still but he still can't help but impose them because that's what that's all he knows that's all he knows religion to be yeah no exactly um and and that you know like so i'm actually happen to write at the moment be teaching harriet jacobs um autobiography incidents of the life of a slave girl and one of the really powerful points that she makes um and you know not not just jacobs a lot of anti-slavery writers uh but i think she very powerfully so is that like one thing that slavery like so perverts like the entire sort of social structure that there is like almost no space to even be like kind of a good, like sort of a, a decent human being like under it. Like and from, if you're, if you're white, like from the slave owning, it just like, because it so mm-hmm. perverts everything. Um, and like, so, and, and I think that this scene kind of gets a little bit at that. It's that it, it, it's like, and, and like what makes to me like this actually like a, a really kind of powerful scene, like sort of like Huck's kind of like, um, like decency is that he is like mm-hmm. able to like that he is actually able to like do the right thing but even th- but but like we still see that sort of like violence uh you know in, in that like he, that it's it's just it's still as corrupted the way he views the world again i mean this is like very much about like oh the brutality of slavery on white people um which you know i mean it, I, that 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 itself is like a, a problematic uh, narrative but i think it's you know but it's 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 real too, and, and 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 I think it does get to like the sort of like just the massive like social corruption of like slavery. Um, like I think I think it is a very pointed critique at that exactly. I think so too, and I also think that part of the thing is like yeah, the like isn't isn't slavery hard for white people is like the gro- is like the most disgusting. Yeah. You know, like that's the way, <laughs> that's the most disgusting take imaginable. I think that in this moment, it's really important. That Huck is a child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because in that too, we see that like how slavery reproduces itself as a system, right? Like, because it's a pedagogy and it's like, yeah, like even a child, like someone who like just kind of learning the world, um, um, that he, you know, he, he's already been sort of like, so fully kind of brought into that. Um, but, but it remains hopeful in that there's like, there, it seems to be maybe, maybe it's localized, but a path out out of that for him um and and i do so i do want to say like the other way in which i think that like that yeah like that that this slavery is very kind of like uh, this this slavery another way that this novel is very critical about the antebellum slave owning society is like yeah it just fucking like brutal satire against the plantation class i think another way in which we see this novel explicitly sort of taking on like the kind of plantation class specifically but sort of like slave owning society generally is in the grangerford and and shepherdson feud um which is yeah i mean like these people are utter just reprehensible dipshits who are like just murdering each other and doing it out of this completely fucked up 
and perverse like code of like honor that and and yeah and, and so i think like we we read that and it's like there's no way that this novel doesn't want you to just absolutely fucking hate and find contemptuous certainly the plantation class yes and it's it's also so the thing about this feud is that when huck and uh, when huck arrives he thinks he's he's gotten to paradise mm-hmm. you know and he thinks he's with these classy ass people and one one tell on this that he's not with classy people is that they have this bowl of fruit and the fruit's fake. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And like, so that's your tell. Like, like they I mean, to say they're to say that these are classy people is I mean, classy is like a worst <laughs> fucking Cut that out! Cut it! That's like no, but I but that's how they would think of themselves, right? Like, I mean, I that probably isn't exactly nineteenth century term, but that that's what they're they're. It's like, oh, we're look how fucking fancy and refined and civilized we are. Yeah, you know. um, Yeah, no, they they think of themselves as the fancy ass kind, but in fact, they are actually the kind who is involved in such a psychotic feud with their neighbors that they're like killing 14 year olds they can't go to church if they can't feel their gun resting against their balls the whole time the minister is preaching like this is so this is and they're also like so they're also this is a send-up not only of the plantation class with respect to class but also with respect to religion Mm -hmm. Because they do all this shit, like they put their they put their you know meet me at midnight. We're gonna we're gonna go do crimes notes into Bibles. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they like start these whole they like start these psychotic bloodbaths because they're passing notes around in Bibles. Yeah. yeah, 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 right. Like, yeah, and like that too. I mean, got like it is. It's it's sort of fortuitous that I am like rereading Harriet Jacobs right now because like another claim of her and like people like Frederick Douglass too uh, is like the way it would like Christianity is used like in this very like kind of perverse way mm-hmm. by the South. That I mean, like that's not going specifically to slavery that they're passing these kind of like blood notes of the Bible back and forth, but it is just like like just focusing you on the like the hypocrisy and like violence of this class right it's it's like there is never a moment at which they are not murdering each other murdering you know it it, yeah yeah it's uh like it is satire but like man is it like like but you know i'm laughing i'm laughing in those moments until i'm not like that that final like gun battle where like that the teenager gets killed and like that it's just i mean Mm -hmm. it's, it's like uh, but it's it's also not like to me it didn't it wasn't like I was like oh like you know like tearing up about it it was just like these are the most contemptual contemptible motherfuckers I can imagine you know like yes no they absolutely it's absolutely true they are and the the it's this moment where like Huck also so he sees what's going on with the Grangerfords and the way that this whole thing plays out is also this Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. shit. Where like one of the Granger Ferns runs off with one of the Shepherdsons, mm-hmm. um, which is what leads to that huge gun fight that that leaves Huck further traumatized when he sees like dead these dead teenagers, mm-hmm. and then they kind of go and th- this is a moment where Huck says something about the raft. Mm-hmm. He talks about how when he that other places seem cramped up and smothering, mm-hmm. but a raft don't. Mm-hmm. You feel mighty free and easy and comfortable on a raft. And that's and that's the kind of like, so the two choices for Huck are like actually being nude on a raft, escaping, mm. running mm. away, 
totally like the no clothes thing is the outside of society mm-hmm. part. And, and that is his option. Or he can go into this world where like the fruit is fake and everyone's killing each other and church isn't church. It's actually um, the, you know, MMA mm-hmm. ring. Yeah. The world doesn't make any sense in this, this, moment you know explains that yeah no i think that i think that's right um and and this also too like uh like i think we have to think about like like jim in comparison here right um because like like among the things that jim seems to symbolize to me is uh well one love uh connection um but also like a kind of like sort of honesty uh that's like the polar opposite of like everything the fake fruit um and again like okay so like asking you know a black person the victim of slavery to be the moral compass of like white people that also certainly like uh has its foot in 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 certain kind of racist and reductive discourses but like but i but you know i like i also think like we have in this novel we have to think about that is in comparison to just how like corrupted we see like white society as 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 being you know what I mean? So like that, like, yeah, I mean, I guess like in some ways, like Jim is, is sort of like the moral offers to that. But like, I just, I, you know, there, there's this one moment where like Huck uh, makes Jim think that he's dead. Like it's a practical joke and Jim gets really upset. And then, and then Huck feels bad because Jim's so upset about it, but it's like Jim's so upset because he actually does give a shit about Huck in a way that like, you could probably say almost yes. no one else in the novel does. Huck gives a shit about Jim probably in the way that he doesn't about anyone else in the novel. Um, and that, that just, but that just has to sit in comparison to like all these fucking like fake ass or like murderous relationships that we see characterizing so yes. much else in, uh, in, in white society in the book. That is really, that's a really, really, really important point. This is something that's important to keep in mind when talking and thinking about Jim is that it's, often hard for me to tell as a reader when he is being an adult to a child and sort of like dissembling in a way that is for pedagogical Mm -hmm. reasons and when he is being sincere but for jim it's all to the good i mean it's it's truly so that he can you know because he wants huck to Mm -hmm. be a good person because he's invested in his education in that way in a way that like really nobody else has been but there's but there's also this thing where jim is often Mm -hmm. acting he is often behaving as if he doesn't know what Mm -hmm. he knows and he you know he's doing a lot of uh a lot of making pretend with huck and it and socially and it's and it's set in contrast to this famous 19th century figure of the confidence man that we get in these, uh, in these, the, the Duke and the King, which Karen Haltunen wrote this fantastic book called confidence men and painted women. And it's all about confidence men and scams in the mm-hmm. 19th century. And so we have these two different, we have like different versions of acting. We have the kind that you do with, when you're playing make-believe with a child and you also have the kind that you do when you're trying to scam Mm -hmm. somebody or when you're trying to plot a psychotic rage Mm -hmm. murder you know there's all these moments of like lying and so i think that what that figure does for twain and what it does for our understanding of jim is like is is important Mm -hmm. i think yeah no i i think so i think so too i think so too well and also like like so i mean like uh the, the the claim in the morrison essay 
which I think is, I mean, I, I think it's right that like the, the sort of like the minstrelization of Jim at moments, it's, it is a way of like kind of distancing Jim. Like basically it's like sort of him becoming like Huck sort of like surrogate father, or even just like the, 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 the only real relation that he has that that get, that that like cro- starts to cross too many sort of racial lines. And so the novel has to push Jim away. But I think that like either intentionally or not, it never quite does because like, yeah, like for one thing, yes. Like, I mean, one thing like the menstrualizing discourse is that like it, it puts the, the, you know, the black man into this kind of like child support subservient uh, position, even to like kind of the white, the white teenager. But Jim is all, I mean, Jim is always like, I mean, his moral sense is much better developed. He, um, he is like, yeah, I mean, he's doing pedagogy with Huck. Like he is invested like in a way that, uh, you know, a father, like, you know, ideally should be in him. Um, you know, and, and you're right. Like, I mean, he, there's a way in which like the way he's written kind of like, uh, sort of tries to obscure like stuff he knows, but he does know, I mean, he's not, you know, he's not, he's certainly not not a character to me that reads like uh like comic relief or a fool like he he know like he knows a lot uh but e- even though like the language in some ways like kind of tends in that direction um i don't think that's right i don't think that's ultimately where he winds up um no yeah and even those moments where like huck is pull so huck and tom sawyer try to pull a bunch of tricks yeah. on him and my reading of those was always that he knew what was actually going on yes yeah exactly yeah you're right like they it, so that, to, to go back to like yeah, like yeah like jim's gonna escape like when he's at aunt sally's like they're gonna help him escape and huck has this very straightforward escape plan but tom wants to like count a monte cristo it up and yeah like and, and you're right and so i think two things are happening there like what is like that like yeah jim's kind of playing along with with these kids um we could also i i not with a ton of like op- possibilities because he's been captured, you know, I mean, he's like, he doesn't have a lot of power under the system, but, but yeah, like he, he knows what's up in a way. Certainly the, the kids don't. Um, and, and so I think that goes to childhood. I also think that goes to like, a clay, like a, another satiric claim that the novel makes about romance, like, um, it, it, you know, which is, which such had like such kind of a, a part of like, um, this sort of like reification of like, uh, 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 the, like the, 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 Southern code of honor and all that bullshit. Um, but I, I will just read like, uh, what, like, tw- <laughs> Wait on Walter Scott. I love this. <laughs> he blames him <laughs> for the Civil War, and I'm, I'm serious. He bl- this is from Life of the Mississippi, uh, published a year before um, uh, Life on the Mississippi, published a year before Huck Finn. Here's what Twain says. Then comes Sir Walter Scott with his enchantments and by uh, his single might uh, checks this wave of progress and even turns it back. Since the world in love with dreams and phantoms, with the cated swinish forms of religion, with the cated degraded systems of government, <laughs> with the silliness and emptiness, sham grandeurs, sham gods, and sham chivalries of a brainless and worthless long vanished society, he did measureless harm, more real and lasting harm perhaps than any other individual that ever wrote. <laughs> most of the world has now outlived good part of these harms though by uh, no means all of them but in our south they flourish pretty forcefully still not so forcefully as half a generation ago perhaps when Huck Finn is sat, but still forcefully, there the genuine and wholesome civilization of the 19th century is curiously confused and commingled with the Walter Scott Vigilay's sham civilization. Um, and so you have practical common sense, progressive ideas and progressive works mixed up with the dual and inflated speech and the jejune romanticism and absurd past uh, that is dead and out of charity ought to be buried. Um, so like, <laughs> um, um, Mark Twain, you can't just say everyone that you 
don't like did the Civil <laughs> yeah, War. Yeah, I know. I was know. like, all right, dude. Yeah, you, you did fight for a couple weeks for the Confederacy. Let's not. But yeah, um, no. But and he and that it, I that's just a small part of that. He goes on and like basically one of his claims is like you got all these Southern plantation dipshits naming their kid like Waverly and Ivanhoe and thinking you know like and and, and, and so yes. So, but so I think like Tom Sawyer's like thing that we got a Monte Cristo it up. One, it goes back to the childhood theme. But I think the other thing it's getting at is this sense of like th- this kind of this this way in which like a, a form of like kind of romanticism was used by like fucking like white supremacist reactionaries to like, you know, posit like, oh, the the goodness or the virtue of their like completely fucked up and, and decrepit um, society. Yeah, well, because they're like, they, it's this like fantasy of a feudal past, but you like, you can't stop blowing your cousin's yeah. brains out. You know, like, we're not doing, we're not doing honor and uh, ancient sword battles here. Yeah, no, we're not. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I know we, I know we need to to, to wrap up soon. Um, but the one thing I just wanted to ask, and we, we sort of touched on it. But um, like what the river signifies in this, and I think it signifies a few things. I mean, Katie, you, you saw it at the outset, they're going south, they're going like deeper and deeper into slavery, like they miss the the turnoff to uh, at Cairo mm-hmm. to, to head up the Ohio um, and, and what that means. Um, but, but so like in one sense, it's like, yeah, it's like the, the river like becomes this kind of inescapable force of like American violence just heading into d- darker and darker territory until finally there's this comic resolution where it does doesn't have that way but like at the same time it's like it wants to be that but also this space of freedom um and like this kind of space of innocence like you mentioned like huck and jim uh you know kind of shedding their clothes on the raft and you're right like in one sense that's like his only escape is to run away and like in this very almost kind of state of you know like this kind of you know like kind of hobbesian state of nature maybe but i also think it's like the good state of nature too right it's like it's like this fantasy of like this this kind of space of like innocence that you can get to like it is like huck escaping his abusive father um does you know he runs to the river that's his first idea um a lot of the people they meet in the river while you know many of them are ominous like the duke and the and the, and the, the dolphin um <laughs> he, or the duke of the king uh he they he um there uh, there's also just a lot of kind of like freewheeling characters who are not you know like they don't want to do society you know they want to do their own thing and like <laughs> You know what I mean? So I, I think it, 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 the river itself is a very complex place in this novel. Oh yeah, the river. The, yeah, the river signifies a bunch of different things. Also socially, uh, so we talked about the fact that like the river is a space where you don't have to have right. clothes on. Like that's sort of that. Like that's mm-hmm. important. If we're that far away, you know, if we're that far away from you know going to you're not going into town uh, with your ass hanging out, right? No, 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 you're not. <laughs> or at least like i'm i'm certainly i'm not a streaking college student <laughs> like um, a european soccer fan right like <laughs> yes no i'm not i'm not on a french beach uh, um and so there's that but there's also this thing that you brought up which is the smallpox thing which is like huck does this does this like pretty fucking cool trick which is he the these people are you know they're, they're like they're he protects himself and Tom by getting people who are threatening to them um, to turn around and go the other way because he says, come help me, come help me. We have smallpox. We have smallpox. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So it's like he revert, he fucking reverse psychologizes them. And um, 
so the thing is, is that like the river is a space away from society, but it's not a space away from like knowledge or fear of contagion or, and it's not a, a space away from once we introduce other people, there's this relationship assumed between, uh, Jim and Huck where, um, Jim is enslaved to Huck. Um, there's all kinds of fantasies that happen when we see other people. It's also like the the thing about the smallpox and the them going the wrong way have always been linked so tightly in my yeah. mind because because what what Huck does to like what Huck does is a trick in a way Twain does in this novel the whole time, which is like we're always like he's always trying to push us to accept to to think it's our decision to go Mm -hmm. the wrong way Mm -hmm. you know to think that we're following this like journey that we know about on a river and you kind of can forget that they're going they're going you know like that they're going the wrong way yeah no you can right um right yeah and and uh and sort of like like exactly what to what you're saying um i'm I'm about to do some freshman close reading here (laughs) like no because like there's this moment and and i don't honestly i'm not sure we have anything to say but i'm like wow that's a really cool symbol but like when they're coming up on Mm -hmm. the mouth of the ohio which that that's the river that if they took it uh you know upstream would lead to like the free states um and they miss it but like the the color of the two rivers, the Mississippi and the Ohio, is different. And apparently, this is a real thing too. Like you go past south of the confluence, there you can actually see the Ohio's. Uh, like it, it, the water is just different as it comes into the Mississippi. Um, and so the okay, so this is a moment where Huck is on this kind of big raft with like 30, 30 uh, sort of like Mississippi folk. Um, and here, here's this, this is a great paragraph. <laughs> um, they sung jolly, jolly raftsman's the life for me uh, with a rousing chorus. And then they got to talking about differences betwixt hogs and their different kind of habitat habits. Um, and next about whip and next like about women. Do. And there are no women around. This is a very, very masculine space um, and their different <laughs> ways. And next about the ways uh, to put out houses that was a fire and next about what ought to be done with the engines. And next about what a king had to do and how much he got. And next about how to make cats fight. And next about what to do when a man has fits. And next about differences betwixt clear water rivers and muddy water ones. The man they called Ed said the muddy muddy Mississippi water was wholesomer to drink than the clear water of the Ohio. He said if you let a pint of of this yaller Mississippi water settle, you would have about half to three quarters of an inch of mud at the bottom, according to the stage of the river. And then it weren't no better than Ohio water. What you wanted to do was keep it stirred up. And when the river was low, keep mud on hand to put in and thicken the water up the way it ought to be. I like to chew my water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, but no, it's like, so they missed that. They missed them out of the Ohio. And the way they know that is suddenly they're in this clear stream of water. That's very different from the Mississippi. And that's just like such a cool, like visual symbol, right? Like that, the muddiness, the murkiness of like the artery, that's heading down to New Orleans and down to like the slave markets. Versus the clear river that's headed like to kind of the north and, and sort of freedom. Um, it's like kind of over the top, but like, but I also think that that boat, I mean, it's more <laughs> the kind of over the top, but I also think that moment where they're like, oh yeah, you got to d- eat that mud. Cause it's like so wholesome like that. I don't know. You could totally write a really good <laughs> freshman paper on that. You know. <laughs> you totally could. If any, if any freshmen are listening, you can have that <laughs> yeah. idea. You can take that one. No, it's, it is, um, it is also there's something uh, like poor poor. There's a thing that was said about poor white people at that time, which was um, something about cl- like clay eaters yeah. that they would eat, yeah, yeah, yeah. eat dirt, and and that was like a very like uh, 
one of the things that 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 was said about like Huck is fits into this uh, genre of white yeah, white trash right, literature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so that actually sort of matters too, um, because also what we have with the river, like the river is an important space because what do you do on a ri- like if we're if we're doing if we're doing freshman comp, like what do you do on a river? Yeah. You drift, and they're on a raft. You know, they're yeah. on a raft. Like this is yeah. important shit. Yeah, right. And, and yeah, and, and unless you have, uh, you know, and, and I'm glad you mentioned, like, like shockingly for our Marxist podcast, and like me in particular, not talking talk too much about class of this. But I think that is right, and, and that's another thing that goes back through our whole discussion. The, you know, like it's a satire of the plantation class. Um, while the main character racially would align with the plantation class, there is a very clear class line there. And I think it is important that Huck is not of that sort of like uh, economic status, even though he is of the same, uh, you know, kind of like racial grouping. Um, but, uh, but, but no, yeah. And yeah, that, but like, so unless you're, unless you have a steamboat, which that's pretty fancy, you're basically going wherever the river is kind of carrying you uh, like raft. Yeah. That they, they can't kind of, fight they they can't once they pass the mouth of the ohio they can't get back the other way because um you know, it's the current's just too strong um uh yeah no and, and right and and but a, a lot of the characters they meet on the on the on the river like river life does seem to be it is not like the kind of like elite bourgeoisie or like the plantation aristocracy primarily that's on the river it is um it's a different it, it's it's a it's a very different kind of like social space Yes, it's not only because you can use it to, I mean, you use it to escape, you can use it to be free. You can also use it to be a fucking flim flam man and just go from town to town. You know, like, and that's, I think, I think part of what's going on there about why the river is so complicated. It's not only the vessel, it's like all the shit. And that's the, I'm really glad you brought up the part about the the water changing too. I also didn't, I did not know that that was Mm -hmm. real shit. But it is like the water itself is important, like that murkiness yeah. that actually yeah. matters, that like bobbing around, that feeling is is uh and, and that it's like again, like this is a child it's a not it's not a it's not a kid's book, but it's a child it's a novel about childhood. And I typically don't give a fuck about like you know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a think yeah. of the children yeah. type. <laughs> But in this particular in this particular book, like it's all I'm yeah. thinking about. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, it, yeah. When I think it, you you sort of have to, and uh, and yeah, and, and one thing, so and I don't. We should, we should wrap up, but the with the muddiness too. It's yeah. like so geographically, why does that happen? I mean, it's a tur- the Mississippi is a turbulent river. You know, it's it's going through a lot of different kinds of landscapes and and all that, and just and just the composition of it. Um, but like, it's also you know, I mean, it's car- like that. What does that symbolize? Like american history too right like i mean the american vibe you know it's just like it's care it's carrying with it the geography the landscape which is important but it's also carrying with it like sort of like historical circumstance historical conditions um so yeah cool cool symbol cool symbol mark twain like (laughs) a good writer good uh anyway um do you do you uh, do you have anything else or should we should we do our, our kind of final uh final stuff Let's do final stuff. All right. Um, well, that, thank you for uh, suggesting we read this. It had been quite a while since I read Twain. Um, and I every time I reread Twain, I'm like, I should read more Twain. <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah. So what so what, uh, what 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 questions do you have for us to finish? Tristan, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, you have you only you you only like the biggest mm-hmm. boats, just huge, gigantic, enormous boats. 
there's nothing Freudian happening. Not at all. And I, I, it is the, it is absolutely the size of the boat and not the motion of the ocean. Totally. Totally. I mean, <laughs> consider if you want to be in the order of the gigantic yeah. saber, call back to our uh, Castle of Toronto <laughs> episode, Ken. But what I would like you to do in this, and I just, I, I wouldn't ask just anyone to do this, but I feel like you are, are a special person <laughs> who's so well suited to this task. Okay. And so because of your, your innate uh, connection to ships and boats. Okay. Okay. And so I'm going to name a series ship and boat related items. Okay. Okay. Yep. And what I would like for you to do is tell me spiritually whether that thing is a ship or a boat okay yep okay i got it let's do it and um unfortunately i will not be able to answer any questions about any of this okay okay and by i will not be able to i mean i refuse to okay all right all right (laughs) okay so number one the shape of water is it a ship or a boat that's what i'm trying to do is the film the shape of water a ship or a boat Oh man, uh, I haven't seen it. Um, but but I'm oh, cool. okay. Okay, all right. Well, so all right. <laughs> <laughs> you said you wouldn't answer any questions about it. Um, I'm gonna say ship because I I like ships better and the shape of water sound. I, I always it was like you know that title sounds cool. I sh- I have no idea what it's about, but I should I should see it. So ship. Okay. Yeah. So ship. Okay. Okay. Station 330, Sirius XM, Yacht Rock. Ship or a boat? Yacht Rock? Yacht Rock. Uh, I mean, when I hear yacht, I am kind of thinking uh, uh, of the of the, the Andy Samberg classic, I'm on a boat. You know? <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> Great song. <laughs> fuck, fuck trees, I climb buoys, motherfucker. Um, that, that, that's, a, that's, that's a boat. That's a boat is what that is. Boat, boat drinks for the your boat on a boat, Yacht Rock boat. <laughs> Wow, but okay, boat dr- boat drinks a Jimmy Buffett song. Fuck yeah! Uh, bonus question: Is Jimmy Buffett a ship or a boat? Oh man, Jimmy Buffett is Jimmy Buffett is a ship that has a lot of cool boats. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> bonus points for you. Okay, um, we'll just kind of breeze right through these. The Titanic, mm-hmm. ship or boat? Oh, ship. Yeah. The 1997 film Titanic by director James Cameron, who was also the Avatar guy. You know, I have to say a few things about that film. One, uh, Kate, Kate Winslet, when I was a teenager <laughs> and saw it, I was like, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but, but the other thing, too, is like most of that movie sucks, but there is a fucking baller ass scene when they're in the engine room uh, and they, they order full reverse. Like that almost made that movie watchable. Um, <laughs> Are you talking about, okay, I thought you were going to say there's a baller ass scene where they fuck in a car. Oh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, but but I, I'm i talking about the more important thing, which is when you see the steam engines in operation and you see <laughs> the old timey, how the command went down from the, the bridge to the engine room. That's what I'm talking about. But yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. It's a, it's a, it, uh, God, I hate to say this because that movie largely sucks. And that's now I'm going to have that fucking Celine Dion song stuck in my head, but I have to say it's a ship. Okay, uh, I'll yeah. put you down for ship. Okay, I'm on a boat. The song. I'm on. I'm on a boat. <laughs> Is it a ship or a boat? Oh man, it's on a it's it's a ship. Okay. 
<laughs> Relatedly, nautical themed pashmina Afghan. Ship or a boat? <laughs> a boat. Man. It's going fast. <laughs> I got a nautical themed <laughs> pashmina Afghan. Oh. Uh, I mean, ship for hilarity, but I mean, an Afghan, I, I feel like an Afghan is more of a yacht. So like a boat that it's a boat. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It's a boat. Um, Robinson Crusoe's canoe. Oh, it's a boat. Yeah. It's a boat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a boat. Robinson Crusoe, the man. Oh, he's a boat. He sucks. The novel's cool, but he sucks. All fail sons are boats. <laughs> All fail sons are boats, yes. And you can take that to the bank. Okay, uh, the mermaid who's currently on the Starbucks cups. Oh. Uh, mm. Ship or a boat? I mean, Starbucks, cool cool Melville reference. The Pequod is definitely a ship. <laughs> but Starbucks and company kind of sucks, so I'm going to say boat. Okay, boat. But you may change your okay. answer for the second part of this question. The mermaid that used to be on the Starbucks cup with her titties out. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, that goes to being like the, the figurehead, right? Who often did have their tits mm-hmm. out. Um, so I'm going to, yeah, no, you're right. That 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 one's a ship because it's, it's like a figurehead on it. It's a ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. put your tits out. It's a ship. Yep. <laughs> uh, you're, you heard it here first. Although, although if you have to compete with a steam engine going in, in reverse, that, you know, I. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Kate Winslet's <laughs> boobs were the real ship. But the steam engine, though. I'm just saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. But her, but her nipple was a canoe. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and the steam engine actually, in some cultures, is considered cleavage. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, yes. That I know that actually. That's a fact. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very small circles. <laughs> Uh, we're getting we're getting close to the end okay the navigation app Waze is that a ship or a boat I've never been able to successfully use it because I'm a dumbass with technology so I'm gonna have to say boat although it's probably a ship but you know I'm gonna call it a boat I think you're fine to call it a boat I hate to give things away and here's the final and most important question is this a ship or a boat Elon Musk's fake submarine that he never actually made to rescue children, after which he called some guy a pedophile for no reason. Is that imaginary submarine a ship or a boat? It's a fucking boat. Elon Musk is the boatest motherfucker. Yeah, no, it's a boat. Nikola Tesla, ship or a boat? Ship. Car, a Tesla, ship or a boat? Boat. That time that Elon Musk took a sledgehammer to a Tesla <laughs> to show how indestructible it was and bashed the window in. Ship or a boat? Oh, oh, man. I mean, <laughs> ship for the hilarity value. But it, it, but yeah, it was ship. It was fucking funny. It tried to be a boat like, te- like Musk, who sucks. Yeah. Okay. Well, Tristan, uh, unsurprisingly... You've done exceptionally well <laughs> on this on this quiz. Um, the only the only question that you got incorrect, absolutely incorrect, was the first question. The shape of water okay. is a boat. The ship the shape of yeah. oh, the ship of water. The shape of water is about a woman who fucks a sea monster. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know any more about it. Uh, all right. It's yeah. That sounds that 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 sounds like a boat. That that uh, yeah. That sounds like a boat. Now I don't have to watch it either because I it doesn't. I don't care. I don't care. You know. So yeah. But you did great. Congratulations. Thank um, you. their kid actually is the Starbucks titty mermaid, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, th- all right. I mean, I you know I feel good about my ship boat credentials. Uh, this this was fun as always, uh, and also a nice break from a novel that is uh you know despite being funny um and satiric uh pretty fucking intense too, um so anyway yes. no this was great thank you thank you for the game thank you for helping me uh, bolster my ship head credentials. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been better read than dead. Uh, you can find Megan on Twitter at Tuslersaurus. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Ed Pod, spelled R-E-A-D, and email us at betteredpodcast at gmail.com. But only if you want to fight with me further about the show, the sh- boat ship dichotomy. <laughs> 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 please, please don't email me. Uh, <laughs> although email us. <laughs> although no, do do email the show. We do love to hear from you guys, even though we're jerks about it every week. Um, yes. Our intro music is Led Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JV Design and Content. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, next week, Megan returns to the podcast. Uh, yay for that! Yay. We'll be talking about Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, followed at long last by Rob Roy. Um, so thanks, comrades. <laughs>